0: book two chapter two of the mrs mallet by e h young this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by anne erickson toronto this was not she told herself disloyalty to her mother for had not that mother whom she loved and painfully missed sent her to this place her mother was generous and sweet she would grudge no late found allegiance to reginald mallet had she not said they must remember him at his best And would she not be glad if Henrietta could find bits of that best in this old house, in the streets where he had walked, in the sights which had fed his eyes? Henrietta started out, gently closing the front door behind her. The wide street was almost empty. A milk cart bearing the legend Sales Hall Dairy was being drawn at an easy pace by a demure pony, his harness adorned with jingling bells. The milkman whistled, and as the cart stopped here and there, she missed the London milkman's harsh cry, and missed it pleasurably. This man was in no hurry, there was no impatience in his knock. The whole place seemed to be half asleep, except where children played on the green under the old trees. This comparatively small space, mounting in the distance to a little hill backed by the sky, was more wonderful to henrietta than hyde park when the flowers were at their best there were no flowers here she saw grass two old stone monuments tall trees a miniature cliff of grey rock and sky on three sides of the green there were old houses and there were seats on the grass but houses and seats had the air of being mere accidents to which the rest had grown accustomed and it seemed to Henrietta that here, in spite of bricks, she was in the country. The trees, the grass, the rocks, and sky were in possession. She followed one of the small paths round the hill, and found herself in a place so wonderful, so unexpected, that she caught back her breath and let it out again in low exclamations of delight. She was now on the other side of the hill, and though she did not know it, she was on the site of an ancient camp, the hill was flat-topped. There were still signs of the ramparts, but it was not on these she gazed. Far below her was the river, flowing sluggishly in a deep ravine, formed on her right hand and as far as she could see by high grey cliffs. These, for the most part, were bare and sheer, but they gave way now and then to a gentler slope with a rich burden of trees, while on the other side of the river it was the rocks that seemed to encroach on the trees for the wall of the gorge, almost to the water's edge, was thick with woods. Here and there, on either cliff, a sudden red splash of rock showed like an unhealed wound amid the healthier gray, and all around her there seemed to be limitless sky, huge fluffy clouds, and gulls as white. At the edge of the cliff where she stood, gorse bushes bloomed, and looking to the left, She saw the slender line of a bridge swung high across the abyss. Beyond it, the cliffs lessened into banks, then into meadows studded with big elms, and on the city side there were houses, red and gray, as though the rocks had simply changed their shapes. The houses were clustered close to the water. They rose in terraces, and trees mingled with their chimneys. Below there were intricate waterways, little bridges, warehouses, and ships, and high up the ferry bridge, delicate and poised, was like a barrier between that place of business and activity, and this, where Henrietta stood with the trees, the cliffs, the swooping gulls. It was low tide, and the river was bordered by banks of mud, gray, too, yet opalescent. It almost reflected the startling white of the gull's wings, and as she looked at it, she saw that its color was made up of many, there was pink in it and blue and as a big cloud passed over the sun it became subtly purple it was a palette of subdued and tender shades henrietta heaved a sigh this was too much she could look at it but she could not see it all yet this marvellous place belonged to her and she knew now whence had come the glamour in the stories her father had told her when she was a child it had come from here where an aged city had tried to conquer the country and had failed. where the spirit of woods and open spaces, of water and trees and wind, survived among the very roofs. The conventions of the centuries, the convention of puritanism, of worldliness, of impiety, of materialism and of charity, had all assailed and all fallen back before the strength of the apparently peaceful country in which the city stood. The air was soft with a peculiar, undermining softness. It carried with it a smell of flowers and fruit and earth, and if all the many miles on the farther side of the bridge should be ravished by men's hands, covered with buildings and strewn with the ugly luxuries they thought they needed, the spirit would remain in the tainted air and the imprisoned earth. It would whisper at night at the windows. It would smile invisibly under the sun. It would steal into men's minds and work its will upon them. And already Henrietta felt its power. She was in a new world, dull but magical, torpid yet alert. She turned away, and walking down another little path threaded through the rocks, she stood at the entrance to the bridge and watched people on foot, people on bicycles, people in carts, coming and going over it she could not cross herself for she had not a penny in her pocket but she stood there gazing and sometimes looking down at the road two hundred feet below this made her slightly giddy and the people down there had too much the appearance of pygmies with legs growing from their necks going about perfectly unimportant business with a great deal of fuss it was pleasanter to see these country people in their carts schoolgirls with plates down their backs, rosy children in perambulators, and an exceedingly handsome man on a fine black horse, a fair man, bronzed like a soldier, riding as though he had done it all his life. She looked at him with admiration for his looks and envy for his possessions, for that horse, that somewhat sulky ease, and it was quite possible that he was an acquaintance of her aunt's. She laughed away her awed astonishment, Why, her own father had been such as he, though she had never seen him on a horse. She had, after all, to adjust her views a little, to remember that she was a mallet, a member of an honoured Radstow family, the granddaughter of a general, the daughter of a gentleman, though a scamp. She was ashamed of the something-approaching reverence with which she had looked at the man on the horse, but she was also ashamed of her shame. In fact, To be shamed at all was, she felt, a degradation, and she cast the feeling from her. Here was not only a new world, but a new life, a new starting point. She must be equal to the place, the opportunity, and the occasion. She was, she told herself, equal to them all. In this self-confident mood, she returned to Nelson Lodge and found Carolyn, in a different frock, seated behind the tea-table and in the act of putting the tea into the pot, Just in time, she remarked, and added with intense interest. You have brushed back your hair. Excellent. Look, Sophia, what an improvement, and more like Reginald than ever. Take off your hat, child, and let us see. My dear, I was going to tell you when I knew you better that those curls made you look like an organ grinder. Don't hush me, Sophia. I always say what I think. Henrietta was hurt. This, though Carolyn did not know it, was a rebuff to the mother who loved the curls. But the daughter would not betray her sensibility, and as Rose was not present, she dared to say, an organ grinder with square feet. Oh, you heard that, did you? Sophia said you would. Well, you must be careful about your shoes. Men always look at a woman's feet. She displayed her own, elegantly arched, in lustrous stockings and very high-heeled slippers. Sophia and I... Well, Sophia's are nearly but not quite as good as mine. Are they, Sophia? Sophia and I have always been particular about our feet. I remember a ball when I was a girl where one of my partners, he ended by marrying a ridiculously fat woman with feet like cannonballs, insisted on calling me Cinderella because he said nobody else could have worn my shoes. Delightful creature. Do you remember, Sophia? Sophia remembered very well. He had called her Cinderella, too, for the same reason, but as Caroline had been the first to report the remark, Sophia had never cared to spoil her pleasure in it, and now Caroline did not wait for a reply, rose entering at that moment, and her attention having to be called to the change in Henrietta's method of doing her hair. Henrietta stiffened at once, but rose threw, as it were, a smile in her direction, and said, "'Yes, charming,' and helped herself to cake and now carolyn said settling herself for the most interesting subject in the world your clothes henrietta i haven't any henrietta said at once but i think they'll do until i go away i thought i should like to be a nurse aunt carolyn nurse nonsense what kind babies rubbish you're going to stay here if you like us well enough and we've made a little plan she nodded vigorously a little plan for you we ought to say at once sophia interrupted with painful honesty that it was rose's idea rose was it i don't know anyhow we're all agreed you are to have a sum of money child yes for your father's sake and perhaps for your own too a sum of money to bring you in a little income for your clothes and pleasures so that you shall be independent like the rest of us yes it's settled i've written to our lawyer james batty did your father ever mention james batty but of course he wouldn't he married a fat woman too but a good soul with a high colour poor thing don't say a word child you must be independent nursing Bah. and if we don't take care we shall have you marrying for a home this is your home sophia said gently No sentiment, Sophia, please, you're making the child cry. The mallets don't marry, Henrietta. Look at us, as happy as the day is long with all the fun and none of the trouble. We've been terrible flirts, Sophia and I. Rose is different, but at least she hasn't married. The three Miss Mallets of Nelson Lodge. Now there are four of us and you must keep up our reputation. Overwhelmed by this generosity, by this kindness, Henrietta did not know what to say. She murmured something about her mother's wish that she should earn her living, but Caroline scouted the idea, and Sophia, putting her white hand on one of Henrietta's, assured her that her dear mother would be glad for her child to have the comforts of a home. I'm not used to them, Henrietta said. I've always taken care of people. I shan't know what to do. They would find plenty for her to do. There were many gaieties in radstow and she would be welcomed everywhere and now about your clothes carolyn repeated you are wearing black of course well black can be very pretty very french look at rose she rarely wears anything else but when sophia and i were about your age she used to wear blue and i wore pink or the other way around you do so still rose remarked a pink muslin Caroline went on in a sort of ecstasy. A lake horn hat wreathed with pink roses. When was I wearing that, Sophia? Last summer, Rose said dryly. So I was, Caroline agreed in a matter-of-fact voice. Now, Henrietta, get a piece of paper and a pencil, Sophia, and we'll make a list. The discussion went on endlessly, long after Henrietta herself had tired of it it was lengthened by the insertion of anecdotes of caroline's and sophia's youth and hardly a colour of material was mentioned which did not recall an incident which henrietta found more interesting than her own sartorial affairs rose had disappeared and the dressing-bell was rung before the subject languished it would never be exhausted for caroline and even sophia less vivid than her sister in all but her affections grew pink and bright eyed and considering Henrietta's points, and all the time Henrietta had her own opinions, her own plans. She intended, as far as possible, to preserve her likeness to her father, which was, as it were, her stock and trade. She pictured herself, youthfully slim, gravely petulant, her round neck rising from a Byronic collar fastened with a broad loose bow and she fancied the society of Radstow, exclaiming with one voice, "'That must be Reginald Mallet's daughter!' She was to learn, however, that in Radstow the memories of Reginald Mallet were somewhat dim, and where they were clear they were neglected. It was generally assumed that his daughter would not care to have him mentioned, while praises of her aunts were constant and enthusiastic, and people were kind to Henrietta, she discovered, for their sakes.' The stout and highly colored Mrs. Batty was an early caller. She arrived, rather wheezy, compressed by her tailor into an expensive gown, a basket of spring flowers on her head. She and Henrietta took to each other, as Mrs. Batty said, at once. Here was a motherly person, and Henrietta knew that if she could have Mrs. Batty to herself, she would be able to talk more freely than she had done since her arrival in Radstow. There would be no criticism from her but unlimited good nature a readiness to listen and to confide and a love for the details of operations and illnesses in which she had a kinship with mrs banks indeed though mrs batty was fat where mrs banks was thin cheerful where she was gloomy and in possession of a flourishing husband where mrs banks irritably mourned the loss of a suicide They had characteristics in common, and the chief of these was the way in which they took to Henrietta. "'You must come to tea on Sunday,' Mrs. Batty said. "'We're always at home on Sunday afternoons after four o'clock.' "'I have two big boys,' she sighed, and all their friends are welcome then.' She lowered her voice. "'We don't allow tennis. The neighbours, you know, and James has clients looking out of every window.' but there's no harm as the boys say in knocking the billiard balls about i must say the click carries a good way so i tell the parlour-maid to shut the windows and music my boy charles she sighed again is mad on music i like a tune myself but he never plays any you'll hear for yourself if you come on sunday now you will come won't you miss henrietta yes she'll come carolyn said do her good to meet young people we're getting old in this house mrs batty and she thought in anticipation of the usual denial but for once mrs batty failed her thoughts were at home at prospect house that commodious family mansion situate in its own grounds and in one of the most favourable positions in upper radstone so the advertisement had read before mr batty bought the property and it was all true John, Mrs. Batty went on, is more for sport, though he's in the sugar business with an uncle. Not my brother, Mr. Batty's. She was anxious to give her husband all the credit. They are both good boys, she added, but Charles, well, you'll see on Sunday. You promised to come. Henrietta promised, and with Mrs. Batty's departure, Caroline spoke her mind. She was convinced that a lawyer and his wife were determined to secure Henrietta as a daughter-in-law. "'He knows all our affairs, my dear, "'and James Batty never misses a chance "'of improving his position. "'Good as it is, it would be all the better "'for an alliance with our family, "'but I shall disown you at once "'if you marry one of those hobbledehoys, "'The Batty's, indeed. "'Why, Mrs. Batty herself!' "'Caroline, don't,' Sophia pleaded. "'And I'm sure the young men are very nice young men, "'and if Henrietta should fall in love... She won't get any of my money, Caroline said. But Henrietta won't be in a hurry, Sophia announced, and so, over her head, the two discussed her possible marriage as they had discussed her clothes, but with less interest and at less length, and as before, Henrietta had her own ideas. A rich man, a handsome one, a gay life, no more basement kitchens, no more mutton-bones, Already the influence of Nelson Lodge was making itself felt. End of Book Two, Chapter Two, recording by Anne Erickson, Toronto.